Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Hey, so welcome back. Last week on Mythbusters, we started off our series by talking about how there are a whole bunch of myths that we buy into, or perhaps not. Maybe they're silly myths like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or the Yeti or who knows. But actually there are other myths that we need to really start to address. Myths around politics or family and maybe even church where we really do need to get to the bottom of some truths because they matter. And if they are myths, we need to decide Actually, what are we going to do about them? Uh, What are we going to do as a result? And if they're not myths, what do we do as a result? So we kicked off last last, uh, week this series by asking the question, is the church really against dot, 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 dot? We used a whole bunch of different examples. And going through that, we realized that actually Christians do hold positions on a whole bunch of different things. But Jesus really modeled a life. He modeled a life where he showed that he was first, um, uh, he first cared most uh, about being in a close proximity to other people's pain rather than just presenting a position. Not necessarily because positions are wrong, but actually it was getting into the proximity of people's pain that mattered the most. And so we're carrying on this series asking a question, asking a question or looking at a myth that chances are that you've probably heard people talk about before. Maybe you've even thought before, or maybe it's something that's put you off church, which causes you to want to watch online rather than actually attend on a Sunday. So if that's you, a real special welcome. But today's myth that we're looking at is that the church is full of hypocrites. Have you heard that before? Hypocrisy within the church? I mean, it comes from somewhere. Uh, even a couple of years ago, there was a survey released by the Barna Group that uh, took a whole bunch of people, unchurched and church, to try and gather what was the perception of the local church. Within that survey, they asked people who didn't uh, come to church, who were outside of the church, they asked them, do you think that the church has had a positive impact on your local community? 80% didn't think that the local church had a positive impact on their local community. Now, if you're part of the church, if you call yourself a, a churchgoer or a Jesus follower, that should scare you as it scares me. They also, within this survey, put across 20 different words and phrases spanning from positive words to negative words and phrases to ask people which one of these do you associate with church? The top three not compatible with science, judgmental and hypocritical. Those were the words that people outside of the church used to describe the church. And so for all of the things that the church talks about, all of the things around uh, being wanting to be relevant and also wanting to be generous, wanting to be a helping hand to people, wanting to be springs of living water that we looked at last week, really the church isn't being known for that. It's understandable to see why people would call the church hypocritical. I remember when I was 16 years old, uh, my friend uh, had a whole bunch of issues going on uh, on in his life because his parents went through an incredibly messy, difficult divorce because one of them had an affair with a local church leader. It caused an incredible amount of brokenness with him, with his family, obviously, but also that community, also his friends at school. It was a real tragedy to see. 
when we hear about those scandals in church, whether it's a sexual scandal, a financial scandal, a power scandal, it really does run deep. Hypocrisy is like a poison that spreads deep and wide into the lives of people. But it's not just the headlines that causes people to think that the church might be a little bit hypocritical. I mean, hypocrisy runs everywhere. It runs within workplaces and political parties. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about the political, uh, yeah, the political party that promised something but didn't deliver or accused their opponents of being something that they were too guilty of. Think about that time in work, perhaps, where somebody was uh, accused of something or someone was disciplined on something where everyone knew everyone also did that or perhaps even the person who was doing the disciplining also was guilty of that. And that hypocrisy runs as deep as anything in that situation. Think about the person who called themselves a friend to you but gossiped behind your back. Think about the partner. Think about the partner who accused you of doing something that they too were guilty of. And yes, even the church with the scandal, with the things that they said were so good to do, but perhaps they also fell ever so short on. Hypocrisy is like a poison that runs deep that runs wide and affects the lives of the people who are close to the people it affects. It runs and it spreads and it transfers. The thing about hypocrisy though, is that there's often a few different ways of looking at it, or perhaps a few different distances from the events that we can actually perceive. I mean, the first one I like to call is the widespread view of hypocrisy. This is hypocrisy in which we can kind of see because of a reputation, not because of anything specific that's actually happened to you. I mean, you might just say, oh, well, of course the church is bad because isn't it just responsible for X, Y, and Z? Things that perhaps you've never experienced, but you've just perceived. Again, politics is known for this. How many times do we hear, aren't they all just the same? But for the person who actually does want the best for their community, that can really sting. I mean, there's this widespread hypocrisy, but that often comes because of a second type of perceived hypocrisy, which is the personal hypocrisy. The personal hypocrisy. That's when somebody has genuinely had a negative experience, a negative experience of the church or something in their lives where they felt it for themselves, where it's really felt like a knife in the back, where that friend really did gossip about them, where the church who talked about welcoming and grace really did push them away the personal view of hypocrisy. But there is a third view of hypocrisy, a view in which perhaps many of us don't like to talk about, the blind view of hypocrisy, the hypocrisy in which you and I are responsible for without perhaps even realizing it. I mean, think about it for a moment if I put it like this. When you're driving in your car and you see somebody who doesn't put their indicator on, why are they a stupid driver? When you forget to put your indicator on, you just forget. Why is it that when you somebody see somebody drive really quickly past you on the motorway uh, and they're going blatantly over the speed limit, they are a dangerous driver. And yet when you forget, or when you don't look at your speedometer, it's because you're late and you need to get somewhere because it's an emergency. We have these different standards for other people than we often have for ourselves. 
And we are all hypocrites in one way or another when it comes to the blind view or the blind experience of hypocrisy. For me, I was embarrassed when I stopped to look for a second at the things in my life that I hold other people to a different standard on, whether it's productivity, whether it's punctuality, whether it's a level uh, of work, whether it's driving ability, whether it's a level of grace that I would expect others to have for me that I wouldn't give to others. I was embarrassed by it. I mean, if I lived up to the standard that I held up for others, everyone around me would have a far better version of Johnny Abbott than they really do get. For you, this is possibly true as well. I mean, think for a moment how good a driver you would be if you held yourself to the same standards as you held the irritating drivers that you shout at in the car. Think about how good a parent you would be if you were able to control your children in the same way as you would expect everybody else to control their children. Think about how good a partner you would be if you were able to live to the standard that you held to your partner. Think about how good a colleague you would be if you lived up to the same standards if you expected, uh, that you expected of everyone else. Imagine how good a friend you would be if you lived up to the standard that you expected all your friends to live up to for you. In one way or another, we all hold everyone else to a different standard to what we hold to ourselves. We are all in some way blind to the fact that we can be hypocrites. And so when it comes to the church, is it really a myth? Is the church actually just full of uh, hypocrisy? Is it just full of hypocrites? When in reality, in all spheres of life, it's a poison that spreads deep and wide, and perhaps the church isn't just an exception. In fact, the church might even be a prime example. Well, Jesus had an awful lot to say about hypocrisy. In fact, there's one point with the Pharisees uh, and the crowds in the temple. And as he's speaking to his disciples and his crowds, he speaks directly about this religious group called the Pharisees. He calls them out. He says, don't be like these Pharisees who sit on the chair of Moses. The chair of Moses was the seat of authority, uh, this seat which kind of said, uh, I am the person who was able to judge in this situation. This is what else Jesus had to say. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you to do, the Pharisees tell you to do, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie heavy uh, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them everything they do is done for people to see they make their phylacteries wide which were these boxes they, they put on their head that they filled with scriptures and prayers that were important to them they make them wide and they uh, make the tassels on their garments long and these tassels again would be knotted on the side of their robes which would again represent certain laws and prayers they love the place of honor at banquets which would have been the head of the table if you imagine a uh, a table in the shape of a horseshoe the person of honor would be right at the top of the table in order that everybody could see them they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others, which was this big term of respect for religious leaders. Then Jesus goes on to say this in the same chapter. Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear uh, to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So if you're part of the church, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, maybe actually that verse gives you a little bit of comfort to begin with. I mean, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not like the Pharisees. I'm not quite like them. I mean, I don't get anyone to give me a special title or a special name, and I'm not all that fussed about sitting at a particular point in the table. I mean, I don't wear knots and tassels on my robes. In fact, I really hope that nobody's seen you in tassels. Um, but uh, maybe you didn't even know what a phylactery was before today. I mean, you don't dress like them. You don't call yourselves like them. And what's more interesting is that when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus spent a whole bunch of time with people that seemed a lot worse than the Pharisees. I mean, he spent time with people who were tax collectors. These were people who would have been enemies of their own people, traitors to the empire that would have oppressed their own people. He spent time with adulterers. He spent time with people of whom there are records that people came up to Jesus and said, why are you eating with these scum? I mean, the people that Jesus spent time with and, and had parties with really weren't the type of people that you'd expect to see in church. They weren't people that had it all together. I mean, the question that we really need to ask is, well, what type of hypocrite is Jesus okay with? Because he spends an awful lot of time with people that you really wouldn't expect to go to church to see. When you look at the specific examples of Jesus's followers, it's particularly true. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about Peter. Peter, one of Jesus's closest followers, he was this hothead. He didn't have it all together. He was rash with what he said. There's even one point where he gets his sword out and he slices off somebody's ear. I mean, it's gruesome. He was a hothead. He denied Jesus three times. Think about Matthew, the tax collector, one of these traitors against his own people. Think about Simon, um, Simon the zealot. I mean, he would have just been this uh, known as uh, perhaps almost like a religious political extremist. You can almost imagine the difficult conversations between Simon and Matthew. Or think about Paul, one of the people that Jesus called after the resurrection um, uh, in this amazing transformational testimony where Paul is then commissioned to go out and launch the very first churches to speak to them, to guide them on how they're supposed to live. Paul, his initial mission before this point was to try and commit this Christian genocide. I mean, these people really weren't people that had it all together. They were certainly seen to be worse than the Pharisees. So what was Jesus's point? Why did Jesus spend time with people who didn't have it all together yet call out the hypocrites? And I think that's kind of the point. You see, there is a type of hypocrite that Jesus is okay with. We find it in that passage we talked about. This is what Jesus says. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Have you ever had an experience where you felt humbled? Ever had an experience where you've just felt exposed to the world? I remember when I was maybe 15 or 16 years old, I played guitar, um, I was learning, I was kind of all right, not particularly good, but I really wanted to be part of a band. It was just like one of those internal dreams that you think, how cool would that be to be on stage playing guitar? It would just be the coolest thing in the world. 
And I remember that in my year at school, there were a few guys who were incredibly good musicians. And I mean really good, not just good for 14, 15 year olds, actually really good. And they were in need and they'd sort of put a little bit of a call out for a frontman for their band, someone who could play guitar but also sing. Now, not only was I not as good as them by a country mile and some, but I also couldn't sing. But I kind of went up to them and was like, hey, I can try and can I try and be part of your band? And they said, can you sing? And I was like, yeah, I can. I can, you know, I can do a little bit and the rest of it. And can you play guitar? And I was like, yeah, I can play guitar. The band was called The Fuzz, uh, by the way. So that gives you a bit of an insight to what I was like as a 14 year old. But we went together and rehearsed and thankfully they didn't have a microphone so I could kind of like word along the lyrics and they wouldn't really know that I couldn't sing but it came to the first gig and they still hadn't heard me sing and it came to it and there really was a microphone and not only was it quickly apparent that I couldn't sing but it quickly became apparent as well to myself that I was rubbish at remembering lyrics. I was exposed. I was humbled next to all of these guys that really were actually quite good at their instruments. I was incredibly humbled. For you, have you ever had an experience like that? Where you felt exposed, where you felt humbled because of the situations that you got yourselves into? When Jesus talks to his people, he says the people who are going to be greatest are people who humble themselves. Not get exposed by others, but actually expose themselves because they know who they truly are. They, are, uh, they recognize their own brokenness. They recognize their own vulnerability. They're open about their own weaknesses. They have an accurate measurement of who they truly are when they know who they are in comparison to the person that they need in Jesus. It's those who humble themselves that are going to be the greatest. That's the type of hypocrite that Jesus welcomes. People who don't have it all together and also kind of know it. But there is a type of hypocrite also that Jesus isn't okay with. We read it in the passage that we read earlier about the Pharisees. Let's look at it again. Everything they do is done for people to see. Everything they do is done for people to see. That first line might now become a little bit more of a challenge for you. Where is it that your investment lies? Is it in the things that really need your investment? Or is it just so that everything you do is done for people to see? Maybe it's not about what rabbis wear or what you get people to call you, but maybe it's other things in life. The things that actually you would rather nobody knew about. The things that happen behind closed doors. Think about the arguments that you have with people that no one else sees. Think about the gossip that you share that you know will never come back to you. Think about your internet history. Think about uh, the times where you have to look over your shoulder left and right before you do what you're about to do. Think about maybe your financial situation and how you got there. What are the things in life that you try and cover up and hide from everybody else in order that you can try and present an image that other people will like you for? Where does your investment go? We all have things that we try and cover up. We all have things that we're a little bit ashamed of. But when it comes down to it, the hypocrites that God calls out are the people that pretend their lives are all together. For you, if you're a churchgoer, if you're a Jesus follower, you need to ask yourself the question, how is it that my life is perceived? Am I really perceived for who I actually really am? 
Or am I putting up some glaze that my life really is okay, my kids get it, my spouse gets it, I'm good in church, my life really does look how I want everyone to see it uh, being. Maybe that's a little bit more of a challenge for you. You see, the myth that we need to break around hypocrisy in the church isn't that there are hypocrites in the church. The myth that we need to break is that the church is full of hypocrites. You see, it's not full. There is always room for one more. We are a place that's full of broken people that's going out to a broken world in order to help other broken people. It's the people who are part of the church who try and pretend that everything's okay, that that everything they do is for other people to see. That's the hypocrisy that Jesus says, that's going to get in the way of the community that I want to build in my church. I can remember for me this really hitting home personally uh, when I was leading our Forge Eye congregation. I loved that church. I, was, I loved being the leader of that location before leading Thurston, where I am now. And I remember there was one point in one series that we were doing where a few new families started to come along, which was for us really exciting. We have new people regularly. And so if that's you and you're watching online, considering coming, feel more than welcome to come at any point. But on this particular occasion, it was really exciting. And I can remember really focusing in on everything that we were doing in order to try and take away all the unnecessary boundaries and unnecessary barriers uh, so that they could come uh, and they could be part of our community. We really want to become a church community that unchurched people love to be a part of here at The Forge. So we were trying to take down all the barriers we possibly could. I tried to make it so that the series would be the most relevant for them. I tried to make it so that the music sounded particularly good on those Sundays when they were around. I tried to make it so that when they came in, they would have the best possible welcome. And due to a whole bunch of brilliant volunteers, they really had a great experience. And after a few weeks, they signed up to an alpha course, a time where they could come round one of our houses, eat meals with uh, like-minded others and ask honest questions around faith. And I was really excited that this was going to be part of their journey. And then something went wrong. On the second week of alpha, I showed up. I turned up. You see, what happened was we watched one of the videos that we were going to watch uh, around who Jesus was. And when it came to asking questions, one of the people in this family who'd recently been coming to church for the first time looked at me and said, Johnny, I'm kind of awkward about answering the questions and asking questions because you're here and you're like the vicar. No, I'm not a vicar. But for me at that moment, I realized that I had failed. I had put up a perception of how we were and who we wanted to be whilst missing an authenticity, whilst missing a vulnerability, with missing showing them my own brokenness, that actually they were no more broken than I was. And so they put the defenses up, the guards up, and they didn't feel free to come to church, come to faith, come to Jesus in the way that they really should do, just as they were. Let me ask you, for you, do you do everything in order that it's so just so that what other people can see? Let me ask you, what's your mess? Maybe it's just like when somebody comes around your house unexpectedly, or maybe you've forgotten that they were coming around, and as they're following you through the corridor into your house, you're finding things that really should have been put away, and you're just shoving them in every drawer possible or every cupboard possible just so that you can have the perception of having a tidy, clean house. 
I do that often when my 10-month group comes over on a Wednesday morning. You see, when we do that, if we leave those things in cupboards, if we leave those things uh, in different drawers where they don't belong, if we leave those things that really shouldn't be there covered up, it doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that the mold sets in. It means that it starts to stink and it begins to infect every other part of the house. It's the same in our lives. There are things that shouldn't be there. There are things that we all fall down and are broken over. But when we cover them up and pretend that they're not there and live for a different perception, it doesn't mean that they don't go away. It just means that they begin to stink. What does it look like for you to express your brokenness to others? For me, I'm really lucky. I have five other guys uh, that we've really invested into our friendship. And we say that we can share the last 10% with one another. The 10% that actually no one else really gets an insight to. The really nitty gritty, embarrassing stuff. The stuff that causes tears. The stuff that really hits close to home. We've got to that place because we've spent a lot of time intentionally working with one another to get to that place. And so for me, I then also work on the principle that if I'm sharing that last 10% with them, 80% of my life I'm willing to share with everybody else. Um, 80%, which is pretty much all of it, but just perhaps some of the more intimate details I'll leave out. If I could be so bold, I think for many of us, including myself at times, the way in which we actually live is just the best 10%. That's what we're willing to share with others. And the rest is all totally hidden. For us, we need to try and change that. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, if you are a churchgoer, let me invite you to be a fellow myth buster with me. Help me bust the myth that actually, not that there's just hypocrites in church, because that's true, but the church is full of hypocrites because it's not full. There's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. If you are somebody who perhaps for too long has been investing into a perception, investing into a part of themselves that everyone else can see at the expense of the stuff that really does need work on, I want to invite you now to pray a prayer with me. A prayer that says, you know what, actually I'm not good enough. I have got my stuff. I have got my baggage. And it's kind of because of that that I need Jesus. I want you to invite you now to pray a prayer with me. The prayer goes like this. I am broken. I do not have it together in the way that I would want people to think. I really need help. Repeat that after me, perhaps. I am broken. I do not have it together in the way that I would want people to think. I really need help. So wherever you are watching this now, I'm going to read it out one more time and out loud. Why don't you say it after me? I am broken. I do not have it together in the way that I would want people to think. I really need help. The myth that we need to bust, the myth that we need to bust is not that there aren't a whole bunch of hypocrites in church. The myth we need to bust is that the church is full of hypocrites. There is always room for one more. Just as I finish, I wanna highlight a verse from this man called Paul. The man who spent a lot of his time trying to kill the Christians, he later then tried to support. Paul said this in one of his letters to a group of people called the Corinthians. He says this, I delight in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
For you, what are your weaknesses? Where are you broken? Where are the vulnerable parts of your life? What are the things that you need to open up to and express? Not because of shame, but in order that you can bring that to Jesus, in order that you can live a real authentic life where things do get better, where you can help other people live free as well. The myth we need to bust is not that there aren't a whole bunch of hypocrites in church, it's that the church is full of hypocrites. There is always room for one more. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.